Welcome in. It's the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com, the 2019-20 season premiere edition. And for that, I would have none other than new father and my main man, Dave Simone, join me for this episode as we get ready to kick off the athletic season for the Cincinnati Bearcats for 2019 and 2020. Dave, a lot has happened since we last talked. Yeah, there's a lot going on. (laughs) It was maybe the busiest summer I ever remember. I've been doing this for 13 years now between uh, the, the coaching change in basketball, Mick Cronin going to UCLA, John Brandon coming in, uh, the flurry of roster activity that happened between landing players like Evan Prater and Jaheim Thomas. Things have been uh, very eventful on the football side, and we now get ready for the Cincinnati Bearcats to back up their 11-2 and campaign in 2018. And uh, it's... It's going to be an interesting year, Dave, because any way you slice it from football to men's basketball to women's basketball to baseball to volleyball to lacrosse, you name it, it was one hell of a year. 2018-19 was one hell of a year for Cincinnati Athletics. It was. I mean, I don't think, you know, I'm not a, a huge historian, but I can't imagine there's in many other years where so many sports have an individual and individual athletes as well, like uh, Austin Squires and some yeah. of the track and field people. And, you know, and so I know there's some swimmers. I mean, everybody seemed to, you know, either have a breakthrough year, a, another great year, a cap to a you know an outstanding career in some cases it was uh it was pretty much across the board and for that not only do you give a, a tip of the cap to the athletes to the coaches you got to give a tip of the cap to Mike Bone and the administration at the University of Cincinnati they they it's going to be very hard for them to top what they were able to accomplish uh in the past school year but that's where we're at now. The, 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 once the bar raises, expectations raise, and the expectation is now you got to back up what was done a year ago and, and maybe even be better going forward to 2019-2020. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to accept backsliding. So, and I mean, the coaches and players aren't going to. So, yeah, the, why would the fans and the administration, you got to keep, keep building on what you've accomplished and building on what you've accomplished starts with Luke Fickle and the football program. And there's not a whole lot of a need to rehash what all was done and what all was accomplished in 2018, but they they've now set the bar high. They have now placed very lofty expectations on themselves. Uh, it'll be a year where, and people have said this a lot and, and it's true um, I want to explore it a little bit more on this podcast, but the notion of, you know, the, the, the team may be better, but because the schedule's tougher, the record may not be as good. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, Dave. Let's start there. You know what I think about so that? Have I. 
I think it's crap. I think to hell with that. That's what I think. If the program's better, right? That's what we're. That's that's where we're at. The program is better, correct? I think so. I mean, there's at a program like UC in their current, we'll just call it situation. You're never going to go from an eleven and two season like they had and not have at least some level of question somewhere on the roster. So I mean like we have concerns, but like there's other areas where I look at it and I go, they're going to be way better at that spot than they were last year. And there's several areas where I feel that way. So, you know, we'll get into it in more detail, but I don't, and yes, they are playing the tougher schedule. There's no doubt about it. Like, you know, if you just look at it on paper, they the teams they played in conference last year did for the most part did not have good seasons, and they had some things go their way. They had some things go against them. So you know, to me, that always evens out. But they're better. So why why should we just go? Well, you know, they're playing to harder teams, so they'll probably lose, even though they're better. You know, that's whatever. That's a load of crap. Is Desmond Ritter back? He's back, and I believe he'll be better than he was last year. Is Mike Warren back? He is, and I believe he will be, at worst, the same as he was last year. Is Jared Dokes healthy? Right now, yes. Okay. Is is James <laughs> Wiggins is James Wiggins back? Yes, I believe so. Kobe Bryant. Uh, yep, I'm pretty sure. Brian Wright. Uh, last I checked. Josiah DeGuara. Still here. James Smith. Yep. That guy's right. still here, too. All right. I, I, the pieces are in place to have a very good year. Now, we'll start with what is clearly the biggest unknown slash area of concern. That is along the offensive and defensive lines. For Luke Fickle, this is an offensive and defensive line-driven program. He has said as much on countless occasions. Every time you put a mic in front of his face, if you ask him about his program, he will tell you it is an offensive and defensive line-driven program. The reality is, Dave, there are questions on both fronts. On the offensive line, the main question, is James Hudson going to be available? And if he's available, you slide him in at left tackle. And you've got your entire right side returning. You've got a very strong left side with Hudson and Jeremy Cooper, who I think has a chance to be one of the better guards in program history. Uh, as his career plays out, he's obviously a long way to go. He's not there yet, but he's going to be very good, I believe. You've got Jakari Robinson at center. The problem is, Dave, I'm not optimistic about James Hudson. Yeah, I would have figured that, you know, if something good was going to happen, it would have happened uh, by this point. Yeah. Um, obviously, with the NCAA, we you know, we can talk about them and, until we're out of breath. Everybody knows <laughs> they're not the most consistent outfit around but I mean it's it's almost August he transferred 
what, at the end of the fall semester? Yeah, so I mean, he was, he was here. here. He, he was, was here, here for winter workout. Yeah. He, you know, so it's not like he just graduated or did, or, you know, or finished his school year and then he's, he's been here six months, seven months, going on eight months. So you would think if something was going to happen, it would have already happened. And so, you know, going to have to move forward assuming that they're going to have to reshuffle the offensive line, possibly move Chris Ferguson to left tackle, and then that means uh, a right tackle that has never taken a snap. In well, I shouldn't say never taken a snap. I should say never taken a snap, you know, against someone like Chase Young for Ohio State who's going to be salivating thinking about you know, I'm a top five draft pick next year, and I'm going against a, a tackle that's never seen anything like me. So it, it definitely has to be some cause for concern there. I think what initially will will be the first look is I think we will see Chris Ferguson at left tackle and then Lorenz Metz at right tackle. And... I'm I'm not sure exactly what to think of that yet other than I don't know that there's anyone with more physical gifts uh, maybe James Wiggins. I don't know that there's anyone with more physical gifts in this football program than Lorenz Metz. So maybe it's just time with him. Yeah, I mean it's at a certain point and this isn't just an offensive line thing. It's an every position thing. Yeah. At a certain point, you just got to play. Like, you can practice all day long and do great and be perfect. And But at some point, you got you to get out there and they got to see what you can do. So, whether it's him or Darius Harper or someone else, like, that – I don't think there's any – I mean – there's going to be a question until we see it, but you just got to get out there and go. And I do think there's a sleeper at right tackle. I do think if, if, if Mets and Harper don't seem to be ready, I wouldn't be surprised to see Vince McConnell jump up and take that job. Well, I mean, he's been in the program a little longer getting to the point where he's an older guy up until the very end of last year where they started getting him some reps at guard. He had been at tackle for the longest time. Right. I, I think he could be a guy that, that might surprise you. And, and next thing you know, he's taking first team reps at right tackle towards the end of camp. I mean, I, I don't see why you wouldn't at the beginning of camp, at least give everybody a shot. Yeah, I think that that has to if if there's no decision on Hudson, if there is a dis- decision on Hudson, that makes it easy. There's no decision on Hudson. I think right now, at least, you have to kind of plan for not having him more than you plan for having him, oh, because no you, doubt. you have to find out what is the plan at right tackle. Ferg is pretty easy. That's a six-year senior. He's got experience under his belt. You know, he he's an older guy. He's a veteran guy on the line. He's a veteran guy in that room. 
He's now on his third season with Ron Crook. Like, I think you're fine there. And this isn't to take anything away from what happened at left tackle last year, but I mean, I would think he is, he's comparable at least to Dino Boyd, right? Oh, I would, I would think so. Yeah. So I think you're okay on that left side, but you have to find out what you're going to do on that right side. And, and in order to do that, you're going to have to cycle through it. And I think it is going to be a, a three-man race between Mets, between Harper and between Vince McConnell. You got to figure out which one and you got to figure out which one fairly quickly in camp. So you can get some continuity uh, is going to be your guy. So I think going into camp, like that's what we're going to be watching the most on a down to down basis as we get, you know, they'll have a couple days at Nippert and then they'll be up at higher ground, but up at higher ground, that's what we're going to be looking at all the time when they go live. How is that right tackle position holding up and who is trying to, uh, who is starting to distance themselves from the pack? Yeah. I mean, it's it's the easiest, Easily the biggest, you know, question and thing that we'll be watching, especially offensively. I mean, offen- otherwise, offensively, things are, you know, pretty well in place. Outside um, receiver. I mean, that's still. Yeah, but we at least know more about the, major- uh, you know, the majority maybe. of the candidates than we do, I think, of the offensive line guys. Yeah, I think the the inter- we'll we'll get to it. And I would just say I think the interesting thing at wide receiver is how do those guys look now that they're facing Kobe Bryant and Arquan Bush and right and maybe Cam Justin Jeffrey. Harris, Cam Jeffries. You know how does how does that look? Because we didn't get to see that in the spring, uh, which which was unfortunate. But otherwise, you go to the other side of the ball defensive line you're replacing three-fourths of your starters and you're looking at right now I don't know that the two guys that have been backups the past couple years are going to be the first team defensive tackles when we start camp Curtis Brooks had been there in the spring Marcus Brown had kind of slidden down. I wonder if Jabari Taylor and Elijah Ponder are going to be the two starting defensive tackles when we get to camp. And that battle is going to be interesting. The battle at strong side defensive end between Maje Sanders and Malik Van and Kevin Muhan, if he can prove that he's back to being healthy. Uh, Michael Pitts and Ethan Tucky on the outside at the jack position. That equally is going to be a challenge because... The reason that defense was so awesome last year was because nobody could run on first down and they forced you into over and over and over again, third and long, third and long, third and long, get off the field, get off the field. Uh, I I know at one point, I don't know where it ended up uh, because they slid a little bit when Perry Young went out with the knee injury. But at one point, I I believe they led the country in, in three and out percentage. Uh, I know they finished really high up in that. And that is in large part because of the work that was done by Cortez Broughton, Marquise Copeland, Kamani Fitz. Now they have to find a new identity without those three guys, uh, those three veterans, those three guys that played a ton of snaps over their four years in red and black. That's, 
I think that part is what is lost. Yeah, that was maybe that was why they were ready to be as good as they were as seniors, because we had been waiting for those three guys to come on for three years, right? Yeah, I mean, especially like Kamani, we kind of saw what Copeland and Broughton could be, and they flashed. But from we were getting, you know, two years in a row there, we were getting nothing as far as the pressure and you know sack numbers are can be sometimes a little misleading. But just from a, a sheer pressure standpoint, we were getting nothing from the end position. So it was to me, it was a big big question on was Kamani going to take the jump and actually bring some production to the table? And he definitely did. I mean, one thing that I've looked at that is, has become a lot more popular with like, you know, the analytics and stat geeks of for football is stop rate. And they were in the top five in stop rate all year. Number yeah. one in the country for a decent amount of time. And the main reason was just, you know, like we said, the defensive tackles, really did a great job of occupying blockers. You you very rarely saw a center or guard get to the second level and get a block on any of the linebackers. Um, you know, it was very rare that any significant yards were gained between the tackles um, when another team tried to run the ball just because, I mean, they they just – you know, did a great job in that area. So that's going to be – because you know that's what teams are going to do. They're going to go, well, their two all-league defensive tackles are gone. Let's run it right up the middle and see if these new guys can stop it. That's that's the task at hand. I mean, that's exactly what they're going to have to figure out. And they've got the talent there, I think. And I think in a lot of ways they've even already got the depth. Um, you're you're a solid two deep at tackle. Oh yeah, they definitely have the depth. I mean, they're going to rotate those four guys regardless of who the starters are. And then at end, I you've got two sophomores that are both physically mature. They're they're ready um, after one year at one season on campus. Pitts, I think. For me, he's the, the most important guy. I know I've written this and said this in a bunch of different places, a bunch of different ways. But in terms of getting to the quarterback, the the young tackles, you can't count on them to give you that kind of production rushing the quarterback that you got from Broughton and Copeland. Well, no, because you didn't get that production from Broughton and Copeland until their senior year. Right. So, so, yeah, these guys, these guys, I mean, anything pass rush-wise from them is going to be a bonus. So what you're going to have to get is you're going to have to get pass rush, pass rush from the edge. And I think you'll get some pressure with the, the combo of Van and Sanders. But I think a lot of it is going to have to come from Pitts and, and even Tucky when he's in, um, you know, playing that, that – drop back in coverage or kind of blitz type. Uh, he, he's a little bit more linebacker when he plays the jack position than Pitts is. But ultimately, how much do you think we'll see more blitzing to kind of cover up for that? Or do you think we might not see as much because they don't want to maybe expose the the inexperience on that line early in the season? I mean, 
I don't think I don't think it'll be wild, but I mean my my take on it is I would be I'm big on pressure just because I want inexperienced players making quicker decisions. Um like I don't yes, you might get you might miss a gap and it leaves a lane and quarterback takes off and runs or something, but you have a good experienced linebacking group, you have a good experienced secondary, put some onus on them and and let's get after the quarterback or on run blitzes or whatever. Just because I don't like I just don't like sitting back and saying we're gonna play sound and we're gonna you know we're just gonna do what we do. No, you need to make the offense uncomfortable and make them adjust to you, not just sit there and think you're going to win based on great technique and great, you know, scheming and understanding of what's going on. Like sometimes you need to be disruptive. So I'm hoping that they do blitz more, you know, not necessarily to cover up for poor play, but just to try to give, try to help those guys out at least at the beginning to where, you know, you're not just sending four guys, and if they don't get there, then the quarterback's back there forever, or, you know, situations like that happen. Looking one, one level back, um, it's interesting because generally when a team loses their leading tackler, there is a lot said about that. And I don't know that anybody has talked about the loss of Malik Clements. No, I think, I think just. I think there's an expectation that Jarrell White is going to be able to handle that, but I think it has been vastly underappreciated how good of a senior year Malik Clemens had. Oh, he had a very good senior year, but like I was just going to say, I think the tackle stat in general is overvalued. But he had a a very good year, but I, I mean, I think they have ways to replicate his production. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting with Jarrell White because he doesn't have the size that they've they've been targeting and looking for at that position, but he makes plays. And he was second on the team in tackles. He only started six games. Right. Um, so I, I think they'll be fine there. I just do think I wanted to get a mention in that Malik Clemens had a pretty damn good year, and it, it feels like that year almost went completely unnoticed in the fact that nobody is mentioning him when they're looking ahead to the 2019 season. Yeah, the, the loss of Broughton and Copeland were bigger, and and maybe even Fitz, but man, Malik Clemens was, was very solid once he found, I think, the role that was perfect for him, which was that sniper spot, where he could kind of be that hybrid safety linebacker, uh, you know, not be relied on to have that top-end speed at the back of the defense, but still be able to cover over the middle. I think that might be... You know, that's where we need to see from Jarrell in a full season in that sniper role. Is he going to be able to cover running backs? Is he going to be able to cover tight ends? If he's not, how are they going to be able to mask that a little bit? Um, and maybe what happens if if Darian Beavers gets his, a waiver? Because yeah, I mean, that's, if Beavers his, gets a waiver, his role. it's going to be hard to keep Beavers off the field. Yeah, whether it's at that position or as a true 
defensive end. He's a pressure player, so they. I mean, if he's if he's eligible, he's going to be out there on some level, but just because they don't have they don't have what I consider enough of those type of guys. So he's going to play a lot. And that kid's an impressive kid physically. Like, he is all about how Fickle has changed this roster. Like, you look at him and you get... All you'd have to do is show somebody Beavers and say, this kid might play the linebacker spot farthest away from the ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at, you know, a legit six foot four, 245 pounds or whatever. He, I mean, you might have him and Brian Wright as your two linebackers playing the farthest away from the ball. And... For the longest time in Cincinnati, those guys—that's what defensive ends have looked like. Yep. So that that Beavers is going to be interesting there. Otherwise, I also think you can—you know—talking about pressure defensively. You know what? You know when you can pressure a lot defensively. When you're kicking the crap out of someone. Well, that too. But when your secondary is excellent. Well, yeah, that's the, that's my point. It's like. I would have a lot of confidence in that group to where I could say, okay, we're going to bring some pressure because I'm not afraid to put those guys out on island and leave them in one-on-one coverage. You know, I'm going to, I don't believe that these quarterbacks can make these reads quick enough. If we pressure, I don't believe these offensive lines can pass off blocks and, and handle stunts quick enough. If we pressure, like that's my whole thing is like, I just, I don't think teams are good enough if you just – that the teams they play are good enough to handle that. And it's going to be interesting at corner. Uh, I think ultimately – I mean, I, you're going to see Cam Jeffries out there a lot. But I think it's going to be really hard as we get into this thing to keep Arquan Bush off the field. Well, I think, Co- well, I think Arquan and Kobe are starting outside corners. I think Cam's – your slot guy with Justin Harris in the slot too, because most teams they play will have three or four wide receivers. Yeah, I think they've also though they got very comfortable last year going from a base defense and using Wiggins in the slot, which paid off because Wiggins was the number one slot coverage guy in the American Conference and one of the tops in the nation. Uh, PFF Pro Football Focus had it like QBR was at like. Their completion percentage was like 36%, something like that, throwing at Wiggins yeah. in the slot. So I think they're comfortable with that as well. So I think you're going to still see quite a bit of base. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see, and I'm sure they'll rotate between Jeffries and Bush, uh, especially early as Jeffries has so much more experience, and this is now his fourth year playing corner for Mike Mickens. Um, however... Arquan Bush is, if he stays healthy and things go as planned, he's too talented to keep off the field. So, as a coaching staff, you got to figure out a way to get your best guys out there. And Kobe is Kobe. I, we're going to see another year where teams just aren't going to throw at him. Which yeah. makes it a little bit easier on the other guys because you know that side of the field is shut down. And then 
we'll find out this year. I think this is the year we decide, is this the best tandem of starting safeties that, that Cincinnati football has ever had? So I think Derek Forrest is vastly underrated. I don't really think we need this year to decide. I mean, when have they had two safeties that are going into their junior year that, you know, are probably both going to make some level of all league? Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I just I don't know how much recognition Forrest gets because I think Wiggins casts such a big shadow there. Oh, sure. But Forrest is very, very good, especially in that strong safety role. He's good in support. He does well in the passing game. He can run. He's big and physical. Um, Wiggins just gets all the hype because he is the closer, and he somehow manages to figure out a way to figure out what the de- the offense is trying to do late in the game and get game-ending interceptions, which is a very, a very unique skill set to have. You there? I am. Okay. Then I lost you for a second. No, um, that. So defensively, I I don't think they're going to be top ten like they were last year. Especially the schedule's tougher. Um, with more of the tough games on the road, you get Ohio State, you get Memphis, you get Houston on the road, you get UCF here, uh, you get UCLA here. There's some games that are going to challenge them defensively more so than last year. So I don't know that they're going to be quite as stingy. But especially in the back seven, they've got the guys to keep the football in front of them. Uh, And at least early, we might see a little bit more of bend but don't break. But I I think as the season goes on, Marcus Freeman is going to get this unit to be playing at a high level. Yeah, I think they're just, you know, the offense is going to have to carry some of the load in some of these games too. I have a feeling they're going to be in some some more high-scoring games uh, this year. And so, you know, you're going to need your offense to consistently score in the 30s and maybe even the, the you know the 40s in some cases where you just maybe you just run into an offense like Houston, for instance, or even I know Justin Fields is brand new, but Ohio State's got some legit running backs and, and wide receivers. So, I mean, you're, you're going to have to score with these teams. So you can't look at your defense and – expect them to, you know, hold teams to, you know, hold teams to 17 points again this year. And that's where the challenge is going to be for the offense. And that's where I think it's really important early. Some of these young guys are going to have to establish themselves at wide receiver on the outside because they're going to, teams are going to load the box. Teams are going to focus on Josiah DeGuara. They're going to focus on Rashad Madaris in the slot. And they're going to say, can you beat us over the top? And Desmond Ritter is going to have to show progression in his game that he can do that. And there's going to have to be a guy or two or three that step up on the outside to be able to make plays down the field. I think I walked out of the spring (coughs) feeling like if I'm putting my eggs in any basket on that, it's probably going to be Alec Pierce. Would you agree or disagree? Um, I mean, I don't really have any reason to disagree. I I just don't know. Uh, I don't know if I saw. I mean, I didn't obviously see nearly as much as you did. I think that's 
that's still pretty open open question. Oh, it's a tall task. Yeah, it's a tall task. Don't get me wrong. But physically, he's got the best measurables. He's got the athleticism. He showed that he's developing as a route runner where he's more than just a run straight down the sidelines on a go route type guy. I, It's going to be very interesting for me in camp to see does what we saw in the spring carry over into the summer to where he is that potential number one threat uh, deep on the outside. I think we've seen enough from Geddes to know he can be a solid guy, but he has not shown the ability really to, to consistently beat defenses over the top. I don't think he's really shown the ability to beat defenses over the top at all. I'm just looking for him to just be more consistent as a wide receiver in general. Yeah. Uh, I think too many times he he drops passes that he shouldn't drop and you know, not you know, he's I don't think he's a, a true vertical guy. He's an outside guy because of circumstance, I think. But he's not I don't think he's quick enough in the short area to be a slot guy, so he's just is what he is as an outside guy. So, but his consistency going into his senior, I mean, he's got to improve a lot. Or I think they're going to, there are some guys, you know, Trent Cloud picked it up a little bit at the end of the season, especially in the bowl game. Um, I, I I think he's a guy that they could look at out there and then you don't know what's going to happen with, um, you know, Garen Prater, I guess, would be eligible, and you don't know what will happen with Blue Smith. So, on well, the Prater and Smith have been nicked up since they got here. You're right. I'm assuming they're he's going to be sitting out as well. So, how fast they can get back onto the field is is going to determine, I think, at least early, how much you can incorporate them into to an offense that they've never been a part of. Uh, I think a name a, a name to watch that might sneak up on people, uh, and I've heard some good things this summer, is Javen Hawes. Uh, I think he is he has really battled consistency, but I've heard he he's had a good summer. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he is out there at one of the the number one spots on the outside um, when we start camp, and I. Yeah, I think you'll see them give an opportunity to Malik Mudge as well. So you're do, looking at that. Do you, how, you know, what kind of play does Jay Sean get on the outside? I mean, I know he's predominantly think, been a slot guy, but if you're playing your best guy. I think Madaris would go outside before Jay Sean. Yeah. Madaris has got the speed. I mean, Madaris is a right. legit I mean, I kind four, of four three eight. One outside as one of the outside receivers. Like I wasn't really even considering him in the slot anymore, just because again out of necessity. Like someone's got to be out there, and he's the fastest of the receivers. He can clearly get by people. Um, so he was kind of already in my mind as one of those, and we're just trying to figure out who the other one is. I think more than anything, at least early in camp, they're going to want to do whatever they can to push those young guys on those outside spots. But I think if you get, you know, a week and a half into camp and none of them are, are jumping up and, 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 and 
claiming, you know, ownership of one of those spots, that's when I think, you know, as we get closer and closer to the season starting, then maybe you start to see Medeiros more and more uh, on the outside if, if that doesn't come to fruition. But I, I think ultimately you're going to see a lot of chances for Pierce and Cloud and Hawes uh, and, and, and those guys, Mudge, to to see what they can do. It's it's ultimately for a lot of those guys, Dave, it's put up or shut up time, right? For sure. Maybe maybe not Pierce, it's only his second year in the program, but the rest of those guys, this is this Mudge, is year three Mudge or more. Mudge Cloud paused, absolutely. So I think you give them the that opportunity early in camp. If they all had good summers, which I heard that they did, I heard everybody was happy with that. Um, you know, maybe Yanez. When was the last time, not to break off a little bit, but when was the last time we heard that someone had a terrible summer? I, I mean, I, I've heard it a lot. I don't know that I say it. <laughs> it's my favorite, like, at media days. It's like, no one's ever said my team, like, had poor participation in the weight room. You know, we got slower and we have no energy. Every coach is always like, oh, the strength coach really did a great job. And we got we're fat. excited. We're going to play fast on offense and aggressive on defense. You know, this summer I really think we got slow and fat. <laughs> yeah, we really did a good job bringing we, – we did a bad job recruiting. We brought. We got much slower, more – much more unathletic. Like every coach just says the same thing, no matter what. I, love, yeah. I mean, I love it. I would love that. Would be a, I could see like Mike Leach doing that at one day if he was like pissed off. <laughs> uh, you know, just or, like, or, looking to make a point. If Randy Etzel was telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Randy Etzel. Uh what, Coach, what do you think about your team? We're, we just stink. We stink. We're the worst defense in the history of college football. Yes, actually, yes, you are. You you were the worst defense in the history of college football, and you lost your best player to the Bearcats. Um, yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, those those guys are gonna are gonna be a critical factor because look, Desmond Ritter should very much should be better in year two. I would hope so. He was better at the end of the year than the beginning. So I'm expecting him it, to be better at the beginning of this year than he was at the end of last year. And he was better in the spring than he was at the end of the season. So you would think that he would be better today than he was in the military bowl, even though we didn't see him for very long in the military bowl. But that's the next step for him. Have a better command of the offense. Be a guy that, that the coaches trust more this year than they did last year. Mike Denbrock has said that at least through the first, you know, half to two thirds of the year last year, that the reins were on him. And that, you know, they were, they were, I don't want to say holding him back, but they weren't fully opening up the playbook for him. Well, they weren't, you know, they were kind of, you know, I don't want to, I haven't spoke to Coach Denbrock about this, but it's it kind of just, they were telling him what to do. Like, 
here's your first read, here's your second read. If that's not there, run or throw it away. Like, there wasn't a lot of freedom just because right. you're not experienced enough to recognize things at the line, check out of plays, um, you know, stuff like that. So I would expect him to be at that level this year, though. I would, I would too. Or at least much farther along than he was last year. Is there, how much concern do you have that, that Ben Bryant is your backup? Not that Ben Bryant is not capable, but that Ben Bryant has played, what, 10 snaps, 12 snaps? Um, and if something happens to Ritter, there was a comfort last year that Hayden Moore was going to be able to come in and, and hold the fort together. Is there concern with you on, on Brian at that, at that stage? Uh, red shirt freshman year asked to be the number two guy. Not really. Just cause I think last year in college football is an anomaly. You very rarely see a young starting quarterback with an experienced older quarterback. You can see a young starting quarterback with an inexperienced older quarterback, but I can't think of many situations where, you know, a freshman or a redshirt freshman is your starter and a senior who's played a lot is your backup. Right. So, I mean, I think that's just the way it is. And, you know, I, I, have, I, I think Ben can do a good job. I think he'll be benefited if he has to play an extended, extended amount of time by a strong running game and a strong tight end game. Um, but, you know, you're going to go through the same stuff you would have gone through, gone through with Dez last year, just a, with a lack of an experience and, and running the team. Um, but I'm not really, I don't really have much of a concern. I mean, I don't say this like flippantly, you know, and to discredit anything that he's capable of doing, but like, if you're without your starting quarterback, who everyone thinks is going to be really good for an extended period of time, you're kind of screwed anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, that's fair. Oh no. You know, I'm, like, I'm seeing something very disturbing on Twitter. What's that? It looks like. Sensei Curtis is dead. Oh, I saw that earlier. Rest in peace, Sensei. But like, yeah. you know, you look at like teams in the <laughs> league. Like, you're not a, you're not a big Sensei Curtis guy. Hold on a second. Hold oh, on I a am. Second. I am. I mean, that's that's tragic news. Maybe he's, he's Vince McConnell. Bigger, bigger, Vince, better thing. Vince McConnell lives. Sensei Curtis is has passed. <laughs> Maybe it says. To McConnell, it's time to stop screwing around this win this right tackle job. Yeah, maybe maybe someone said enough is enough with your little sideshow, buddy. <laughs> maybe I mean you know the, the fun and games are over. It's time to get out here and and be a be a dude, be a guy that gets on the floor. Yep. Okay, go ahead with what you were saying before. Like Sorry. Houston with Derek King. Do you think anybody is worried about who their backup is? They're like, well, if Derek gets hurt. We're screwed anyway, so I just I don't That's really fair. And don't, let's say know. let's let's be honest, last year was an aberration. How many teams have a guy with, you know, thirty starts, twenty, thirty starts coming off the bench? 
That's what I, that's what I said. I mean, like, in college, you don't have that because that yeah. guy is either in the NFL or he's transferred somewhere where he's going to be the starter by that point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm not – I mean, look at ev- everybody. If their starter gets hurt, it's like, oh, burn that red shirt or here's that red shirt freshman's first chance or here's that sophomore's first chance. Like, no one's like, oh, yeah, we got that guy that started 30 games and set the league record for passing yards in his freshman year as our backup. No one has that. I feel you. I feel you. Running back. How, how do you how do you manage the carries? How do you keep that room? How do you keep everybody in that room happy? I moved Charles McClellan to wide receiver. That's not going to happen. He's a number one. Running, he, he, he's a he's a number one level running back. That is not happening. I know. Let's try again. I think he could be utilized much more. I think they'll use it more in the passing game. Absolutely. Um. I wouldn't rotate backs in the sense of like, oh, you're going to get the first two series because I don't like that at all. I think you run, you play the hot hand. Um, I think initially it's Mike Warren gets, you know, if we're talking about like out of 10 carries, <clears throat> Mike gets five, Dokes gets three. Tavion is your situational guy initially, and so is Chuck, kind of. Him and Tavion are kind of in the same boat. If you're wanting to go fast, one possession, Chuck's your back. You know, if you're wanting to do no huddle or tempo or something, he's your back. And then, obviously, goal line, short yardage, it's Tavion. Um, And then I think just kind of warning Dokes. Not split, but I could see. I think what Mike had like 244 carries last year. Yeah. I could see him around 200, 190, 200 this year, assuming they play all 12 games. And you know, some of those games were, some games were blowouts. So, but then there was also games where he had 30 carries. So it kind of evens itself out. Um, yeah, I could see him around. I could see him around 200 carries. Here's what I'll also say on that. Like, the majority of that happened at the beginning of the year. Right. Oh, for sure. I mean, he had like 30 against, roughly 30 against UCLA. He had 30-something against Miami. So, yeah, it was definitely at the front end. So, I don't think you're going to see that this year at all. I think in those situations, you see Mike with... 22 and Dokes with 15 or whatever the case may be. I don't even know if, the, if that's that's like a high number to me though because when you look at the totals, because yeah, you're going to have your you have more confidence in your quarterback, so you're going to let him throw the ball more than you did last year. Uh, you have these two sophomore tight ends that you're going to want to throw the ball to, so I don't know if they're going to get. Like the, you know, you run like about seventy to eighty plays in a game. They don't run super fast, so you know, just those two guys. If you did twenty-two and fifteen, you're at about half of the snaps right there. <clears throat> but I think that that ratio is probably 
Right. I mean, I could see like 20 and 12, 18, 12, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the first five or six games, though, with with the, the situations that they're going to be in, more than likely, I don't know how many carries Tavion and Chuck are going to get just in general. Especially through the first two. Well, I mean, you have the, you saw the Miami game in there, but you've got... UCLA, Ohio State. Yeah, that's what I'm Marshall. saying. Those UCLA, Ohio State. It's going to be tough for those two to get carries. Right, but then you then you go to Marshall, then you got UCF and Houston. Yeah, the first six is ridiculous. I mean, we'll get to that. So, you know, before the season starts, we'll do a a show looking at each game. Um, this is more of a, a camp preview show than it is a season preview right. show. But I feel you on that. I feel you on that. It's going to be interesting to see how Denbrock handles it. And then tight end. I mean, obviously, DeGuara is going to be your your bell cow. I think you'll see a lot of LaBelle in blocking situations. Uh, I think you'll see Leonard in in bigger packages. Wiley and, and DeGuara in a lot of that K position that they've created uh, in in honor of Travis Kelsey. But that room is another one, much like running back. It's going to be very interesting to see how the coaches manage splitting up those touches, splitting up those reps, and and doing what they can to get those guys on the field. Oh, yeah. I, I, I want to see a Tavion Thomas in the backfield running behind a three-tight end set <laughs> of LaBelle, Huber, and Leonard Taylor. So eight <laughs> offensive linemen. A wide receiver, a quarterback, and Tavion. That's what you want. Yep. One of the one of the guys on the offensive line joked at, at camp one of the camps this summer. We were we were just having some fun and he, he joked that Leonard Taylor was a biscuit short of left tackle. <laughs> he He's a big boy. Miss, he doesn't miss a lot of meals, let's just say that. But he still moves. Like he gets out. Oh. He moves way better than I yeah, thought no, he would. I'm not saying he's like no, I know. better unathletic. He's just a big dude. Yeah. A big, big, big dude. All right, man. Well, that's uh, special teams. James Smith is awesome. We'll see what happens with the, the, the kicking situation. Um, I do think... Let me pull this up. There was there was a move made in the offseason that kind of went very under the radar. I'm curious to uh, to see if it has any implications. And that is... The other kicker they brought in? Yeah. The, the grad transfer kicker they brought in. Sam Crosa. Who played at Western Illinois. And I I don't know. Hold on. This is great radio, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> great radio. I'm looking up his stats. I didn't have I should have had it ready to go, but I don't. Um he was 10 of 14 last season, long of 44, 28 of 30, 
on PATs. Uh, da, 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 in two seasons, he's kicked 20 field goals, 74 point afters, scored 134 points. He made all 10 of his kicks in 2017 and then 10 of 14 uh, in 2018. I'm interested to see if he is able to push either of the two returning guys in that kicking battle. Well, it should be a wake-up for them. I mean, say, hey, boys, we brought somebody in. We didn't do that just because this guy has a great personality. Yeah, I mean, he was obviously here for a reason. Like I said, that one kind of went under the radar. But that is uh, that is one of those that, that is, is a camp battle that we're going to definitely have an eye on. You got anything else you want to add as we, we get ready to, to kick off camp next week? Yeah, I got some recruiting trivia questions for you. Oh, boy. Since everybody's been excited about recruiting, rightfully so, and we could have some more excitement tomorrow if things go right. I, I, I've, got, I've got cookies in the fridge. Let's say that. What's that? I've got cookies in the fridge. Cookie dough oh, okay. is in the fridge. It's not It's not right. cookies yet. But not quite cookies. We're thinking about baking some. Right. There's cookie dough in the fridge. That's what I got. So there are 65 <laughs> P5 teams plus Notre Dame in the country. Yeah. According to 247 Sports, Mr. Chad Brendel, Uh how many of those teams is UC out recruiting as of tonight? I think they're right at, what, 45? They are at 45. So I'll go 22. Oh, my God, you nailed it right on the numbers. Bang! Well, I knew Memphis was 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 in the in there as well. Memphis the, is forty. Well, Memphis is forty three. They are the highest G five team right now. And then you see, and then the math adds up to yeah, twenty two. I'm good at math, bro. Yeah, I'm proud of myself. Here, all right. Hot damn. How many ACC schools would they have a better recruiting class than? If today was you know the end day, they got what fifteen? Well, fourteen. Fourteen. I'll go six. Right on the number again. Sir. Hot damn! I promise we did not practice this. I am we hot. Not. I am hot. All right, let's let's keep it going. How many past twelve teams would they have a higher? class ranking then if today was the end day okay so i don't think they're going to be ahead of any sec schools you'd be wrong they're ahead of vandy okay vandy they don't count (laughs) one um they're ahead of what two or three big 10 schools i think that's four six is ten I'm going to say seven Pac-12 schools they're in front of. They are ahead of six Pac-12 schools. You were fairly far off on the Big Ten. They are ahead of five Big Ten schools. Oh, wow. 
That would have lowered my my Pac-12 guess to six. Four Big 12 schools and Vandy. It's pretty good. It's it's pretty darn good. Now, obviously, like some of them, you know, you can kind of say what you will about rankings, and you know, yeah, they're ahead of they're ahead of USC because USC has five commits right now. Will that right hold true all the way until signing day? Probably not. But I mean, they're operating. They're, as a mid-level Power 5 program outside of the Power 5, and that is really freaking hard to do. Let's just call a spade a spade. And they're not doing it. I don't want to take a shot at Memphis, but they're not doing it with JUCOs. They're not doing it with smoke and mirrors. They're getting local guys. They're getting guys from the state of Ohio. They're beating out Power 5 programs for damn near all of them. Multiple Power 5 programs, some heavy hitter Power 5 programs, for damn near all of them. Give Luke Fickle a lifetime contract. Yeah. With what money, I don't know, but do it. Just tell him to write his own check. (laughs) (laughs) Once a year, you get to come up here to the 8th floor, the checkbook will be out, you write your check, and we'll go about our business until that, that same day next year. Like, June 1st every year, Luke Fickle gets to go up to the 8th floor, write himself a check, and that's we're good for the year. I'm, I, for life. For the, rest of, for the rest of time. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I don't, you know, I, I know our diehards understand this, but, like, you're out, they're out recruiting the middle. We'll just call it the middle. They're out yeah. recruiting the middle. They're dominating the bottom of the Power Five. Oh, well, that's not even. I mean, they're they're forty, fifty spots ahead of teams like Rutgers and Illinois and right. and stuff like that. I mean, that's we're not even. Those aren't even in debate. But I mean, they're they're beating the middle. They're beating, you know, Boston College, Indiana, Minnesota, Purdue. You know those type right. of of teams, and those teams are those schools and their revenues and their you know recruiting budgets are nothing. You see, there's nothing compared to theirs. Right. They're recruiting staff. They're recruiting department. Like Every, I mean, everything. It's amazing. I mean, it I definitely number, is amazing. I saw a number the other yesterday. I think it was that um, Washington State had the lowest revenue. I don't know what year it was. Some some year recently, the lowest revenue of any P five athletic you know program at sixty four million dollars, <laughs> and UC had the highest of any G five at sixty, and there were like. 20 or 30 programs that ha- their revenue was over a hundred million dollars. It's a it's a game of have and have nots that UC has has not been willing to play. I don't know of any better way to put it. Yeah, I mean, their performance says we're not listening 
to what you tell us. We're we're still playing your game. We're not playing this game that you want to make us succumb to. How long it can last, I don't know. But right now, right now, they're playing that game as well as anybody else that's not in the cartel. Yeah, I mean, they're pushing, you know, if you get this commit tomorrow, if you maybe get Sammy Anderson at some point, you know, they're pushing an overall player rating of an 85, which, you know. Which they also did not, in 2018, right? Uh, no, I think they're higher. I think they're average player rating right now is higher than the 2018 class. They're right They're right in the same vicinity. Right. But, I mean, you're not supposed to be able to do that at this level, and you're certainly not supposed to be able to do that two out of three years where one of those years you went four and eight. All right, so that that's I, I think I think we're we we've hit our hour limit. I think it's about time to go. I've got the uh, the birthday girl here with me. I think we're gonna let her take us out, Dave. You ready? Ninth oh. birthday, ninth birthday. Happy birthday, Dave says. Happy birthday. Thanks. She says thanks. I'm sure you heard that. We went out. I went did. out for chicken chicken wings and uh, cake tonight. Pretty good combo. Pretty good combo. All right, take us home, kid. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. There you go. We'll see you next time. Welcome back. Season premiere. <laughs>